I'd like to, uh, the, any prayer petitions that you may have, lift up to the Lord. Lift up any prayer petitions that any of you may have this morning. Um, last week, after our service, we come to find out that Mercedes visits with us on a regular basis. Uh, her mom is in a hospital. She might be in here just a little bit, but um, she, as she mentioned to me this last week, is fighting for her life. So keep Mercedes in prayer. Um, and uh, also, I got a call this morning from Richard and his family. That they're not here today as well. And uh, we'll keep them in prayer. They're just not feeling well. So we're praying against any COVID or anything that might happen at, the, at this point, right? I mean, it just seems to be the one thing that's on people's minds as soon as you hear, you know, the person's sick. That's the first thing that we go to. And, uh, and anybody else? Anyone else that we can lift up in prayer? Okay. Martha, we're going to keep praying for you and your family. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, you get to meet my grandkids. <laughs> All right. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, once again, we want to thank you for just the opportunities of ministry that you give us. You give us the ability to uh, minister in your name, to be used as tools uh, by your power, and the ability to bring glory to you in everything that we do. And I thank you for the testimony that each one carries with them from this point forward, out the doors here. I pray, Father, that they continue to do so in such a, in a way of integrity that brings glory to you, that does not shame the gospel and your bride and your church. And we thank you, Father, for your, your goodness and your grace and all things. And, and we know that in spite of what we may think or feel, that we know that all things are going to work together for good for those who, are, who love you and are called according to your purpose. And we know that a lot of the things that happen to us or in us or around us, they don't seem to be good. But, Father, we trust in you that you will work them out into completion because you started this work. And I pray for every individual that has uh, committed their life to you and has, has committed to serving you, that you give them the perseverance that they need to carry it on through. And, Lord, I pray for those that are yet to receive your Holy Spirit to be able to proclaim that they have been redeemed and bought with the precious blood of Christ, that you do so quickly because we know that the days are short. And we come, for you, we come to you this morning to intercede for uh, the loved ones of our church, like for Mercedes and her mom. And, and Lord, you know the situation and, and just what's going on in her, in her life. And, and we lift up to you and we, we pray that you give Mercedes the peace and the comfort and the confidence that only comes from you, knowing that you will be able to minister to her in times of trouble, in times of need. And in times of troubled waters, we lift up to you, Richard and Eileen, and, and Lord, whatever they may be dealing with, this sickness, we pray that you just touch them and, and help them to receive your, your grace and, and help them to receive your healing, even now as we speak. So we thank you for that. Uh, we also lift up to you, Martha and her family. And, and Father, we know that, uh, that you have a very special place for Martha right now, and, and, and you're comforting her and her children as well for all that they've been struggling with these last few years that just finally came to fruition. But God, just be with them. Uh, we also lift up to you, Manny and Lucille, and, and I pray for Ralph as, as always, and I pray that you continue to strengthen him with his new transplant, and I thank you that, that things are going well with him in his life and his willingness to serve you and do whatever it takes. Uh, and Lord, we lift up to you, Joan, and, and for Sylvia that's here with us today, and for Ernie as always, uh, Father, we just lift them up to you. And we thank you, God, for your grace and your goodness in spite of anything that may be hindering us. So I pray you just remove it so we can hear your word. Help us to come to you with a, with a mind that is focused on you, Holy Spirit. That you, Holy Spirit, start to cleanse us and remove all the, the ugliness that we've been gathering throughout the week. So that we can receive from you and to take this word and apply it to our life. And Lord, just thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lead us now through this portion of Ephesians. As we look at the worthy walk we've been looking at these last few weeks, we thank you, Father. And we just pray that you continue to lead in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. Okay, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you wait long enough, your neighbor might fall asleep. You can take theirs. No, um, there should be some Bibles there somewhere. Ephesians chapter 5, we have, you have outlines and on the back side of your outlines, if you, if you want, you can take notes. And if, you, if you'd want to uh, take some things home and uh, re review them some more. And, and of course, the outlines are for you to take home and, and, uh, and, and go over these verses. I want you now to also look at the things that I'm sharing with you and go over them and, and search them in your scriptures, in your Bible. When you have time, go back over the message that is recorded and placed on Spotify. It's also placed on um, uh, SoundCloud, I believe. 
and uh, you can probably get it on Podcast Addict, and you can also get it from um, off of Facebook and YouTube as well. But uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 15, and we're really going to touch on a few verses because there was something that I really wanted to go over with you again. And I say again because when we of Ephesians, uh, in July, we, we started it with, with God's will, and, and I shared with you what God's will is. And, and it's because of the idea or the thought, people are always looking for God's will. What is God's will for my life? How do I find God's will for my job? How do I find God's will for the place that I'm supposed to live at and, or where I'm supposed to move? Is it God's will that I marry or not marry or that I marry this certain person? Is it God's will that I uh, travel or what is God's will? And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning uh, as soon as we get to that uh, 17th verse. But we, we first have to start off with, with what Paul has been leading up to all the way up to this point. And, and what Paul has been doing ever since the book, uh, ever since the book started, he first of all tells us who we are. We are, we're saved, we have been chosen, we have been predestined, we have been called, we were dead. What we were, we were dead, we were dead in our trespasses, we were uh, wicked sinners, we were away from God, we were enemies of God, and God, by His grace, brought us together with Him by grace that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by Christ, it's by faith alone, through Christ alone, and uh, in, in, uh, in God alone. And so it's by grace that we're saved. And so when we look at what Paul has been talking about, in chapter 4, he started off by saying, I want you to walk this worthy walk. And I, I want to keep going over this to remind you that this is a call to believers that say that they're believers. If you're a believer, then walk like a believer or act like a believer or don't just disguise yourself as a believer. Don't just say you're a believer. If you're a believer, be a believer. And Paul is talking to a very wicked generation, this church that is in Ephesus, the place that they lived in and the things that they did. They were influenced by the culture, by the world. And we've been going over this over and over again. He says, therefore, in verse 1 of chapter 4, a prisoner for the Lord urged you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, again, he says, therefore, be imitators of God. So what he wants and what Paul is sharing with us, God's desire is that we walk worthy of the calling by which we have been called, being saved. That calling which Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for, gave himself on the cross for you. And sometimes we, we take the cross and the symbolism behind it as a symbol only. And we don't take it as a personal effect upon our own life. And, and we approach the resurrection of Jesus Christ as just another holiday, a time to barbecue, a time to just to dress up and, and hide Easter eggs. And we take the time to, to really just go all out, it seems like, for the holiday that most people call Easter, which here we uh, refer to it as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on Resurrection Sunday, and we'll talk more about that later, but that is the whole focus. That's, that's what everything hinges on for us as Christians, as believers. We take that very seriously that Jesus Christ gave his life. He paid the penalty. He, he atoned for my sin. He propitiated. In other words, he appeased God's wrath. God's wrath is upon us. And when Jesus Christ appeased that wrath, because that, that penalty has to be paid. Whether you've sinned once or you've sinned a hundred times or a thousand times, the Bible says that God is going to unleash his wrath upon the unrighteous. And those that are unrighteous are those that have not been cleansed by what we call the blood of Jesus, what the Bible calls the blood of Jesus. What God has done is he's given us. Jesus is righteousness, and God has taken away our unrighteousness and placed it upon Jesus. And on the cross, God unleashed his punishment on the cross so that Jesus Christ would suffer and die the sin and the penalty that I should have died. That's the way that, that Paul is, is talking. Be imitators of God then. He's already taken care of this. And so last week we talked about uh, in verse 14, for anything that becomes visible in light, we've talked about being light. We've talked about walking in, in, the, in the light and not in the darkness. And in verse 15 today, through verse 17, it says this. Look carefully then how you walk. Again, Paul goes back to his walk. Paul is, Paul is talking about walk in the spirit, he says in Galatians chapter 5. In another 
epistle. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, 16, he says, walk in the spirit. Do not walk in the ways of the world. The, the Old Testament says, do not walk uh, in the counsel of the wicked. Do not seat, sit in the seat of mockers. Do not stand with those that, that, that are just against God. The, the whole Old Testament, the book of Psalms starts off by saying exactly that. God is interested in your walk. God is concerned about your walk. God wants us to walk according to what he has laid out for us. So this is why Paul says again in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to dive into your word and to look at, at what it is that you've asked us to do today. You've been calling us to walk worthy. If we're Christians, to be, to be Christians. If we're to be believers, to act like believers. And stop calling ourselves believers if we really aren't. And you've called us to search your will. To search and do what it is that you want us to do. And I know, Father, that whatever your will is, I need to understand it. And I pray that today we can walk away with a better understanding of what God's will is for our life. So thank you, Lord, once again for all you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Some of your translations will have, don't walk as a fool. Do not be a fool. The Bible says a lot about being foolish. Not that people are stupid or that they're dumb or there's something, some chemical imbalance about them. The foolish person, the, the person that is truly a foolish person, an unwise person, is the person that will not listen to the counsel of God. And the Bible talks a lot about the foolish person. In Proverbs 15, he says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of the fools pour out folly. As a matter of fact, Proverbs goes on to say, Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and complacency of fools destroys them. God's counsel is wise. And the, Paul had said in 1 Corinthians, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world. Not that you're a fool. Not that you're foolish. Not that you're dumb. But he's chosen those things that the world thinks are foolish. You see, the world has this idea that the more information they have, the better off they are. And the more information, the more training, the more education, the smarter they become, they don't need the Word of God. Case in point, from the very beginning, the whole idea of, of uh, creation versus evolution has always been totally against God. Creationism, those that believe in God's creation, they believe in God. Evolution is being, is being, is try, and is being pushed through all the schools. And, is, and what they have been trying to do from the very beginning is to get rid of God. Because if they could prove evolution, the missing link, if evolution could be proved, you don't need God. Because the Bible starts off in the beginning. God created everything, the heavens and the earth. So if they can start at the beginning and say, well, no, no, everything wasn't created by God. Uh, it, it was created out of nothing. The problem with being created out of nothing is that nothing is nothing. I don't know how something can come out of nothing because nothing is nothing. And something cannot come out of nothing because nothing has nothing. Now, you try to explain that to somebody that really believes that something came out of nothing, then they call you unwise. They call you dumb. And you start to look at them. How, how can you say that nothing created something if nothing, no nothing at all, doesn't have anything to create? And I will admit that at one point there was nothing, but the creator created something out of nothing. And evolution will tell you, oh, no, no, something came out of nothing. But again... Yes, if you want to go there, then it, we have to start with God. And that's the last thing that they want to start with. And the foolish person, he learns and he knows and he desires to understand even more so. And, and you'll see documentaries on TV. And, and one person that I see a lot is uh, Morgan Freeman. They always start off with, what if? And, and I just want you to know something, beloved. Anybody starts off with, what if? You know what? It's, it's a go from there. You can go as far as you want, as wide as you want with what if. Or if they were to say something, well, just think about it. 
And your imagination is the limit. Whatever you cannot think about is as far as you can go. And anytime you start off with what if, or think about, or just maybe, just maybe, just think, it could have. This is why we have God's word. This is why we have the word of God. Somebody once said, well, what about the people that are before the Bible? What about those that were before creation, before God created man, and before God created Adam and Eve? And I go here, and I go, well, you know, my page is blank, so I don't know. (laughs) There's nothing there. God didn't make anything else. God created the heavens and the earth. And the foolish person is the one that wants to limit God or get rid of God or put God aside. And so Paul is saying, you see, those that don't believe in God are fools. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And the fool says that consistently. But it's not just an atheistic view. It's not just saying that there is no God, so therefore I'm not going to operate under the assumption that there's a, a creator, a, a divine being that is telling me what to do. I'm just, I'm just not going to create. But, but there are people that act as if they have no God. And I've come to push some atheists somewhat, and I push them a little bit, and, and I, it always comes down to this. I, I ask, you know, well, let me ask you something. It, it just, let's just say Let's just say that there is a God, okay? Just for argument's sake. I just want to walk you through this. All right, okay, let's just say for, okay, I don't believe that, but okay, let's just say there is a God. Now, if there is this so-called God, whatever you want to call it, do you think that he would lay down some sort of guidelines for his creation? Well, of course, you know, if he's a God, he's got guidelines. So then basically, it's not that you don't believe in God. Basically, what you want is not to be held accountable by anything or anyone, And so by saying there is no God, then there is no accountability. I can do whatever I want. And beloved, I just want you to know something, that if you don't have a God that you believe in, you you will be that God. Most people believe in themselves, what they can do, and how they operate. And we take God, the creator, and we make God in our image. This is why in Romans chapter 1, God says they knew God. And they, they are without excuse. Everyone knows God. And there is no excuse And what happens is that they take the truth and they hide the truth and they make up their own truth and they worship the created being instead of the creator himself. And so what God says, if that's what you want to do, then I'm going to step back and let you do what you want to do. Because that is the whole argument of what Paul is trying to get across here. If if you're a believer, then walk like a believer. Wake up. O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, he says, look then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise. Walk as wise. So the first thing that Paul wants to get across to us is, number one, in your outlines, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And... What, Paul is, what I'm trying to get across here is that Paul's already said, look carefully then. Look then because of everything I just said, of everything that I've been talking to you about, of the person that you are. You're saved. You are, you are a Christian. You're a believer. You have been predestined. You have been sealed with the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. You have been given a deposit and your, your place is in heaven, and because, and because of all that, because everything I just said, then I want you to walk that way. I want you to live that way. And, and he says, look carefully. And in other words, he's saying, keep your head on a swivel. Look around, make sure that you don't fall into all this trap that the unwise falls into. And many Christians walk unwisely, foolishly, not recognizing and realizing that they are wise. And Paul is saying, walk wisely. Wisdom is what you need. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom you receive the moment that you believe. You see, God doesn't give you bits and pieces. The problem with a lot of our theology in a lot of places, in some churches, it's this easy believism. And let me explain that here in just a little bit. Easy believism is basically that all you have to do is raise your hand, cry a little bit, and say, I received Jesus, and you walk out, and there's no accountability. There's, there's no accountability. You don't have to change because God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And God is going to uh, help you. It's one day at a time. Don't worry about anything else. Just come to Jesus. You know, come down and, and get baptized and start 
come into church and everything will be okay. Easy believism, what it does, it claims that men are born again just by accepting Jesus Christ. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to be saved. As a matter of fact, when John the Baptist started preaching, they asked him, are you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not the Christ. The Christ is going to come and he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. But I'm baptizing you with water right now. So repent. Repent from the deeds that you're doing. See, salvation comes to a person that repents. And when salvation comes, the first thing that you do is you change your life. And in a lot of churches, it says, well, don't worry about it. You know, you know, I used to preach that way. Don't worry about it. You know, God's going to change you. It's going to take you some time. No, it doesn't. When John the Baptist was preaching in, in, in the book of Mark, they asked him, so, so what do we do? And he says, well, you know, if you're a soldier, don't take any more money than you're supposed to. Well, I'm a tax collector. Well, whatever you do, stop, you know, gouging people. Be right by what you do. And, and, if, and, and so little by little, people were coming, what do I do? What do I do? A genuine, born-again, repentant sinner repents and asks, okay, what do I do? What do I do in my life? You know, are, are, are you doing things that are illegal? Well, stop it. Are you doing things that are unethical? Well, then stop it. Repent. But, Pastor, you don't understand how difficult that is. It doesn't matter. I know it's been a lifelong of sin, but just stop. And God, will, God has given you the wisdom. Most people that come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, when they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they know instinctively, the Holy Spirit tells them, you've got to change your lifestyle. As a matter of fact, that's why a lot of people don't come to church. They don't want to change their lifestyle. Says, you know, if I go to church, I'm going to have to stop, you know, hanging out with all these people that I have to hang out. You know, I, I can't be sleeping around. You know, I, I can't be, you know, shacking up with somebody. I, you, know, I, you know, if I come to church, it's going to make me stop doing all those things. And I know because I was there. I was there. And the truth of the matter, beloved, is that once you come to Jesus Christ, it is so liberating. God takes away that desire for your sin. Sin should be the one thing that you abhor, that you hate. It should make you vomit to think about the things that you would do because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And easy believism is, is exactly that. Just come. You, you know, and the thing about God loves the sinner but hates the sin, you know, it, it's going to be the sinner that God sends to hell along with the sin. God may hate the sin, but it's the sinner that has to endure the wrath of God. And until there is a breakthrough and God wakes you up and helps you to realize and see. And Paul is saying, Why? if you're going to be called a believer, then believe. Believe. Titus chapter 2. Look at this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled upright, godly lives in this present age. It happens automatically. God's grace. Grace, he gives you his salvation. Not because you deserve it. As a matter of fact, grace, by its definition, is undeserved. God predestines you. He sees you. He gives you his grace. You're saved. And that grace that appears brings salvation and trains us to renounce ungodliness. If you had no other pastor, if you had no other Bible, if you had nothing else but the word of God came to you and you were saved, you would know instinctively the Holy Spirit will tell you, I've got to change. I can't be doing the thing. I know these things that I do are wrong. But what happens is that we love our sin. That's why we do it. We love, oh, I hate doing this. No, you don't. Oh, I hate, I hate waking up this every morning and having to go through this. No, you, you love it. Because if you really didn't love it, you wouldn't do it. And the kingdom was preached. The kingdom of God was preached. And Jesus Christ says, you have to repent. Repent. And as a matter of fact, one of the reasons why a lot of people don't repent and don't carry through with their salvation experience that they've experienced with Jesus Christ is because there is no salvation. This is why people have asked me many times before, what about the guy that, that gets saved and goes back out into the world and starts doing the same old thing again? That person was never saved. How could he be? I mean, God isn't a, God isn't a liar. If he saves you, you're saved. If he's taking your sin away, he's taking your sin away. If he's made you his son, he doesn't make you his unson. And, and the reason why many people don't back away is because they love the sin. 
Or as Psalms chapter 1, verses 2, I read here just a little while ago by heart. If you look at this in your outlines, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Look at this all over again. Blessed is the man who did what? Walks not. That doesn't walk with the wicked. Those that are, in other words, going in the same direction. Going, you know, and, and I think a lot of people get saved or they come to church and they get saved and they continue on in their lifestyle. They continue on in the stuff that they know that they shouldn't be doing. And then he says, nor stands. Now, look at, look at how the psalmist puts this. This is way before Paul, 800 years before Paul. The psalmist says, don't walk with him or don't stand with them. In other words, don't make yourself so comfortable. As a matter of fact, he goes on, he puts it a little bit further. He says, don't even sit down with them. Then you're comfortable. Yeah, it's okay. They're my friends. You know, me and God are tight. You know, he knows me. I'm a work in progress. Uh, you know, it's once saved, always saved. Whatever the case may be. No. A genuine, true believer understands and knows they cannot be part of that world anymore because you're not part of this world. This world is not your home. And the, the idea of walking carefully and, per, uh, you know, not perfectly, but walking carefully is you, you don't want to walk with people that are not like-minded. You don't want to associate with the people that you used to associate with. Now, I understand that there's a time that, you know, once you've matured, once you've grown, once you've developed and got some verses under your belt and, and you start understanding what the Word of God says, you want to share that with people. But you don't want to hang out with them. You see, Jesus hung out with sinners, but he didn't sin alongside with them. And even then, Jesus kept his distance. And it's tragic that so many Christians foolishly do not take God at his word. You see, a fool is not just a, an atheist. A fool is not just somebody that does not believe in God. But a fool is one that does believe in God and yet does whatever it is that he wants to do. That's what a foolish person does. Number two, remember where you are. Remember where you are. Number one. Remember who you are. You're a saved, regenerated believer. If you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, if you know that Jesus Christ has redeemed you, paid the price, if you know that that's, then walk that way. And remember where you are. Paul says this, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Where are we? We are in evil days. Can someone say amen to that? We are in evil days. You know, and it's, it's interesting to note that here, 2,000 years ago, Paul said the same thing to the people in Ephesus that he is telling us today. These days that are evil have been with us, and they have multiplied, and they continue to grow, and they continue to develop, and they're everywhere. They're not just things that you hear or things sometimes that you see, but they're in your pocket, in your phone. They're in your home, on your TV. They're in your radio coming out. These days are evil. And, and, it's, it's this, and so Paul says, you need to know what time it is. It's not like, you know, well, it's almost 1130, not that kind of time. You need to know what time. It's the time that's right now. It's the, 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 the era that we're in, the epoch that we're in. And that's what, what he's saying. He's saying that you have to understand that right now, this period of time that you have, this period of allotted time that God has given you, God has given you an allotted time in your life. And just like you were born, you were born at a certain place, at a certain time, to certain parents, and you were born a certain way. You were born male or female. You were born uh, you know, either on a weekday or a weekend, in the morning or in the evening. But you were brought into this world at a very specific time. You had no control over that. You have no control over how God brings you in, when he brings you in. And guess what, beloved? You have no control over when you are going to leave. God has an appointed time for you. You have a time that Paul is talking about. There's an epoch. There's a, a span of life that all of us have. And he says, be careful how you use that time. Be very careful. And one of the worst things that we can do, especially if you're a believer, is just waste time away. But I've got to make money. You know, you can always make more money, but you cannot make more time. Time is fleeting. As a matter of fact, there are people that are worried about the time that they have. And they, they try to, to exercise and eat well and go to the doctors. And, and they worry and they worry and they worry and they worry. And they worry about everything that is, seems to be happening. Look at the verse in your outlines there. It says in Matthew 6, 27. And which of you by, and which of you by being anxious or worry 
can add a single hour to his span of life. Your epoch, your time. Jesus is talking about worry. He says, don't be anxious about anything. He says, I know you guys are anxious about things. But look at the birds. Look how, look how much they eat, how much they store. And they're able to go through the winter and have babies and little birdies. And they tweet and they make a mess. And, and God feeds them. God feeds the birdies. Look at the flowers, he says. It's, it's naturally, they, they are beautiful. They don't have to worry about where to get their clothes, who's going to make their clothes. They, they're more beautiful than Solomon's kingdom. Solomon was the richest king ever. And they have a, an abundance of colors. Look at them. What God is saying, look at nature. Nature does not worry. Nature does not worry on where the water is going to come from, on how much water is going to be there, where the snow is going to be, the winds. Everything just happens exactly the way God wants it. And all of nature obeys God. Even the plate tectonics, they move for certain reasons. And it's our dumb fault for building buildings on top of these places. <laughs> you know, there's this huge fault line going through Southern California up toward uh, Alaska, I think. And we build houses on top of it. Then we get mad because the earth shakes. You know, go figure. And Jesus is saying, why do you worry? People worry themselves to death. But you know what? You cannot worry yourself to life. And people worry and they worry and worry shortens or diminishes the quality of your life. Worry causes heartaches and uh, high blood pressure and sugar diabetes. And worry causes migraines and headaches. And some, some even attribute a lot of the worry and stress that we have in our life to cancer. Worry causes stomach problems and all kinds of ailments. Worry keeps you up all night. Worry keeps you asleep all day. People get depressed. People get anxious. And all worry does is mess up your right now. People worry about yesterday, all the things that I should have done, all the things that I did do. I can't believe I did such. And then they worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, what am I going to do about tomorrow? I can't pay my bills. I can't make it one day. And all that does is it, we worry about yesterday. We worry about tomorrow. And all worry does is mess up our today. And we go to sleep. And we wake up the next morning. And guess what? I shouldn't have worried so much yesterday. Oh, my God. I can't believe I was worried about all that. It finally came through. What about tomorrow? And we start the cycle all over again. Worry messes you up. And, and there are people that are worried about how long they're going to live and how long they're going to be on this planet. And they, they try to, to work their life and exercise and eat well. And you can exercise and you can eat well and everything. And yet your time comes. It's done. Now, please don't get me wrong. Just because I ate a donut this morning, you know, hey, I, you know, I mean, I guess Pastor Zell doesn't care, you know. No, it's not that. I do. And you should take care of your health. I shouldn't have ate that donut, now that I confessed it. Uh, you should take care of your health. You should exercise, okay? You should eat well, because what's going to happen is it'll extend the quality of your life. The quality of your life will be extended, because for some... You'll take care of yourself. Now, there are a lot of people that take care of themselves anyways. And uh, things may happen. This is a broken planet. Things happen. And, and I know people that are basically on life support for the last 10 years to, through dialysis or machines or breathing tubes or whatever. They're, they're just, what, what should have killed that person at that time, it hasn't. Because of modern technology or better yet said, that wasn't their time. But when God's timetable is finished. It happens. It is done. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Make the best use of your time right now, every day, because you don't know what tomorrow holds. There are a lot of verses in the Bible about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Jesus tells a story in the parable of a, of a landowner that said he, he made a lot of grain and all these fruits and grains that he had picked up and it wouldn't fit in his barn. I'm going to build me some bigger barns and I'm going to make me keep all this stuff because I made so much money. And then he says to him, you fool, you don't even realize that tomorrow you die. James says, you know, instead of saying thus and thus we'll do tomorrow or this and that we'll do tomorrow, we should say it is the Lord's will. If it's the Lord's will, we will do that because your life is a vapor. You can live 10 years, you can live 110 years. That is a vapor. It's a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. Make the best use of your time now. Amen, he says. That's my grandson. Preacher in the making. <laughs> you see, and so we, we have to remember that God is still in control of time. 
Even though it doesn't feel good, God is still in control of time. And for the last part of the sermon, I just want to share this with you. The days are evil. But number three, remember what to do. Remember what to do, the purposes of God. The last verse. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. When we started the book of Ephesians, we talked about the will of God. This is God's will. And a lot of people are wondering, what is God's will? How do I find God's will? How do I know what God's will is in my life? You know, who do I marry? What job do I have? What school do I go to? How do I know what God's will is? Well, it's interesting because you'll find books. You'll find experiences. People that have found, um, you know, pleasure in life. They have found success in life by following these basic steps. And a lot of the steps are, you know, some of them are biblical. But if you want to know what God's will is, See, this is what probably happened to them and how they were able to be successful. But if you truly want to find out what God's will is, well, you have to go to the Word of God. Amen? I mean, you just go to God's Word. It's there. It's not like this huge Easter egg hunt that God says, okay, I'm going to put the, your, got my will all over the place. Now you got to go out and find it. It's not that God is trying to keep it from you. and says, oh, I'm sorry, that was wrong. The bad thing about finding God's will is a lot of people, well-meaning Christians, they have been told, all you have to do is pray about it. Just pray about it. And I've had this happen. People come up and say, you know, I've been praying and praying and praying for this woman to marry me, and I know that this is the one because I know this is God's will because if it wasn't, she would have said no to me a long time ago. See, the bad, the, the bad thing about that is that you have one sinner praying for another sinner that both want to sin, and they both want to do what they want to do. And then... They take a biblical approach after it all falls apart. They do like Adam did. God, it's your fault. You're the one that gave me that one. It's her fault. It's the devil's fault. It's everybody's fault. It's not my fault because I prayed about it. I prayed about it and I felt confident this is what you wanted for me in my life. And God, this was your will. But now, you know, God doesn't do that. He's not precocious. He doesn't tell you, okay, here's my will. Up, I was kidding. <laughs> now you got to get divorced or whatever. That wasn't my will. We jump out of God's plan for our life. And we blame it on God, or we blame it on the people around us, or we blame it on the devil. We blame it on everybody else except for who? Yeah. Here's God's will in a nutshell. And this is just five of the very basic verses that I found in God's will. So n- number one, on the back of your outline, look at this. It says here, the will of God is that you be saved. The will of God is that you be saved. That's God's will. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should be reached or should reach repentance. You see, God's goal is for you to reach repentance. To come to a point in your life where, as I said earlier, you repent. You just change your whole lifestyle. When, when I gave my life to Christ over 33 years ago, it was, it was at a time when life was good and bad. I, I was making good money, but I was drug out. I was an alcoholic, a drug addict, all kinds of stuff. And, and things were okay because I can take care of things. I, you know, business was good and, and all the things that were going well were going well, except for I was in moral decline. And I came to a point in my life where I realized, you know, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And there's got to be something different. I tried a few churches and I tried to change on my own and I couldn't until one day we came to this pastor and he says, look, you got to commit your life to Christ. I said, but you know, you don't realize where I've been, what I've done, the things I've seen. You don't realize all my life, you know, it's too late for me, but could you help my children? I don't want them to go through the same thing I came through. And he said to me very wisely, he says, your kids are going to follow what you do, not what I tell them. And at that point, my wife and I both bowed our heads and received Christ for the first time there in his office. And I say for the first time, because all the other times I came forward, I thought I did it. I thought I, you know, I, you know, I was good, but I wasn't. And it was at that point that I realized, you know what, it's, it's time to change my life. That was in November of 1987. You know, and every year, you know, for, for Christmas, we would go out and party. Friends came over and said, hey, what are we going to do for Christmas? I said, oh, I'm going to go to church. Oh, okay, that sounds good. Yeah, I think I might go to church too. 
Well, New Year's came along, right? When New Year's came along, it's all right, man, what are we going to do this time? You know, we're going to party. This is, you know, I'm going to go to church. They go, oh, come on now, you're, you're kidding. No, no, seriously. At the church, they have this thing called the watch night. And they bring pozole and menudo and buñuelos. And, and they, they spend the whole night, you know, just having a good time. And right before midnight, they pray the old year out and they pray the new year in. I go, that's kind of odd. They go, come on, Sal, you got to be kidding me. You're not going to do that for New Year's. I says, yeah, I am. And all of a sudden, my buddies are saying, you know, this guy's really flipped. What really just pushed them over the edge was Super Bowl Sunday. Because, man, I've been a football fan all my life. Super Bowl Sunday, I says, you know what? I'm getting baptized. Oh, yeah, I didn't even realize it was Super Bowl. They go, you forgot it was Super Bowl? Said, yeah, yeah, you know, they're baptized. I want to get baptized. And they only baptize in the evening. Church starts at 5. That's going to be the game. You know, and I go, I'm going to get baptized. And people really thought I lost my mind. And they kept standing by the edge. I kept waiting and looking. Okay, so when are you going to jump? When are you going to fall? Okay, we know you're just messing around. And, and, and they did that for the whole year. And the next year, by, by the time you knew it, you know, I lost most of my friends, which to me was a blessing. It's a good thing. You change your life because God has changed yours. And you, you rid yourself of the things that are in the outside. God is patient with you. And he wants you to be saved. And once you are saved, you are now his child. You're different. And you know this instinctively. And for those of you that have not yet come to that saved knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's one of the things that's holding you back. Because you don't want to give that up. You don't want to give up that friendship, that relationship. You don't want to give up that, that whatever it is. And it's the enemy telling you, no, that's too much fun. You can't give all that up. Like my sister told me the other day, I'm not ready for that. Well, you know, you only get so many chances. That's it. You only get so many opportunities. And then you know. You see, the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promises. He's going to come back. And he's coming back. And he will be back. And he'll be here. Just like he was for Christmas, he said he's going to come back again. And this time, he's coming as a king, not in the cradle. He's not coming as a baby, but he's coming as the anointed king. But he's slow, not because he's slow, but he's patient, wishing that any of you wouldn't perish. He's waiting. He's biding his time because when the just the right amount of people get in, he's going to say, OK, just like Noah, it's time to close the boat. And those that are left behind are going to be left behind. And this is God's design. His will is that you come to know Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Timothy 2. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his desire. Number two, the will of God is that you be spirit-filled. Now, the reason I stopped in, first, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 is because next week we're going to touch on this, spirit-filled. 17 through 18 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, he says it again, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There are a lot of ideas of what you think that being filled with the Spirit is, probably from what you've seen on TV or what you've heard other people do, and a lot of it is, is not being filled with the Spirit. They're filled with I don't know what, but that's not spirit-filled. We're going to look at Scripture. I'm going to show you what the Bible teaches about being filled with the Spirit. And, but that's God's will. He wants you to get filled with the Spirit. And the bad thing about that is for some of you that have been coming from you know, a Baptist background or, or a very uh, you know, uh, conservative background, you're thinking, uh, I don't think I want that. You know? some, some people are even afraid to teach it or to read about it or to learn about it. I don't want to get that zap. You know, and, uh, you know, what are they going to start doing? You know? And so... I want to give you a biblical approach to what being spirit-filled is. The Bible, if God wants you to be spirit-filled, he's going to show you what that is. Not what you have seen. And maybe some of you probably do understand and have a working knowledge of what it means to be spirit-filled. But that's God's will. God's will is that you be spirit-filled. Number three, the will of God is that you be sanctified. I'm going to explain that a little bit here in just a little bit. And you'll see that as, as we're going through here, I have the three S's as I was telling a friend of mine on Friday. You know, I was, this is God's will, saved, spirit-filled, sanctified. Hey, those are S's. I think I can use that. Anyways, therefore, he says, uh, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Sanctification basically means pure, to be sanctified, to be set apart. God wants you to be set apart. 
And the only way that you can be pure is if Jesus Christ's blood runs through your vein. He's cleansed you. And once you've become pure, sanctified, set apart, once you become holy, in other words, another, another word for holy is uncommon. The Old Testament talks about that which is common, unholy, and uncommon, which is holy. So common is unholy. Everybody's doing it. Uncommon is holy. When we say, I just want to do what makes sense, what's common sense, basically what you're saying is you're doing, I, I want to do what's unholy. Everybody else is doing it. Makes sense. It's common sense. God says, I don't want you to be common. I want you to be uncommon, separated, set apart. What he says here, sanctified. You need to be sanctified. Being sanctified, and Paul starts off in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. He says, well, first of all, Abstain from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality was a big thing in Thessalonica. It's a big thing in the New Testament. Big thing in in Ephesus and 1 Corinthians. It was just what they did. It was the lifestyle that they lived. They lived the lifestyle of sexual immorality. That was what they did. People lived together, had sex together. They had churches. They had buildings, temples, where they had prostitutes. These prophetists that people would walk in, and if they had sex with this prostitute, what that would do, according to their belief in their God, is that they would ensure that they had a huge harvest because it was part of their ritual. And it was very, very common for for men to have boys and and other men to have other men and women to lay with other women. It was just very common. Paul says abstain from all that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that happened in the first century when Christianity hit the the world and the world stage started to come through, one of the first things that people noticed, a lot of the writers, the, the historians says, you know, these people, these women, they're, they're pure. They're, they're, not, they're not like the other women. These men, you know, they, they don't partake of the, you know, that's really radical. That's different. That's different. And this is what the world is saying. If, if, you're, if you're involved in sexual immorality, it's not saying that, I'm not saying that sex is not good. What God has done is he's created sex and he made it good. And he wants it to be holy. And he wants it to be between, be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. Why do you think, why do you think there is such a big push against the sanctity of marriage? Why do you think? It's because it goes totally against God. Marriage no longer is anything sanctified by God. And, you know, sex, forget it, it's everywhere. And people live in sexual immoral situations, and then they want God to bless their marriage. Or they want God to bless their lives. Or they want God to bless, you know, but, but yet we are uniting with two different bodies. If you're a believer, your body is not your body. That body belongs to Jesus Christ. That's God's body. He's placed His Holy Spirit within inside of you. And that Holy Spirit that is inside you, the Bible says that your body has become the temple of the Lord. And when you unite your body with another body, what that does is you receive this the spiritual bonding with another person. And the more times that you do it, and people have said, and I've read when I was in college with psychology books, that people that are involved in these sexual relationships with other people, that they feel so empty. It might have been good for the moment, but as soon as they're done, it's like, man, I feel empty. And in order to try to feel that emptiness again, they go out and they look for another relationship, and the more that they do this, the emptier and the lost and the worse that they feel. Until finally... Until finally, it's like, it doesn't even matter anymore. And this is what the Bible calls a callous heart, a seared conscience where nothing affects you anymore. Don't let it get to that point. Paul says, be sanctified. You're different. You're not, you're not in that, that category anymore. Get out of there. Uh, you need to learn how to be under control, control your body, control your thoughts, control your mind, control your, everything about you. Your mind is constantly racing. Your mind is constantly thinking. Your mind is constantly going. And you're going and going and going. And you'll, your mind will it, think about all sorts of different things. And you might think that there's something wrong with you. And it's not. Okay? It isn't. Your mind is, even now, you know, all I have to do is, is just reference, you know, the, the football game. And all of a sudden, I've lost you. Oh, yeah. What time is it? <laughs> you know, doesn't the game start at 12? And all of a sudden, your mind is thinking about stats and all kinds of stuff. And you can listen and you can, and you can think and all, all these different things. That all kinds, your brain is an amazing, 
an amazing uh, organ in your body. That's the way God wired you. This is, but you have control of it. Because when you stop worrying, when you stop getting all worked up about things, then, then you can focus. An emotional person, an emotionally driven person that's constantly emotionally driven cannot think logically or spiritually. This is why sometimes when you'll see in movies that people are going through these dramatic effects and something has happened and they can't move and they're like frozen solid or they're going hysterical and hysterical, that sometimes you have to get them and you have to slap them into reality. And they go, oh, what? Let's get out of here. Okay. Because you cannot think logically and emotionally at the same time. And see, this is why we made a big, I made a big introduction about worry and stress and anxiety. Because when you're worried and you're stressed and you're anxious about things, you cannot worship. Worship and worry are incongruent. Worship and worry don't go together. It's like water and oil. And and instead of worrying, see, if you worry about tomorrow, if you worry about yesterday, if you're worried about right now, you cannot worship. And in, in in order to get rid of worry, the thing to do is to worship. We send you Outlines with verses. Memorize verses. We send you, well, we used to send out home songs. Sing some songs. Talk, talk to God. Share a, a, a point with somebody else. Stop thinking about your situation. If you, can, if you can change it, change it. If you can't change it, worship. Focus on God. This is God's will. He wants you to be sanctified. Number four, God's will is that you be submissive. Be submissive. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, Be subject or submitted for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to be to the emperor as supreme or to a governor as sent to him by, to, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. God wants you to be submissive to the authorities. And by doing so, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It always baffles me how people say that, you know, that they're Christians, they believe in God, yet they don't, they don't follow the law. They're Christians, and people look at them, and they think, really? You don't follow the law? you got all these tickets, you, all these things that you do? We are to submit to the authorities that God put into place. Romans 13, verse 1, we don't have time to look at it, but Romans 13, verse, verses 1 and on, if you want to write that down, go back, go back to it later. Paul is saying that, you know, we are to submit ourselves to the governing authorities because it is God who puts them into power to keep things in check. And so we submit to their authority because he is the one that has the sword to punish or to do good. And what God does is he places those barriers and those parameters around us to protect us. And these laws and things that they put up. Now, now when the laws start going out to tell you that you cannot meet because of whatever mandate they put out, well, we, we, we broke that commandment. We broke that law. We, we continued meeting. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of people come anyway, so it, it was good. Everybody was six feet apart, as you can see. You know, we, we had plenty of space. But still, we didn't stop from eating. Well, I shouldn't say we didn't. We did for a moment there uh, for about a month or so. But apart from that, you know, we, we just, you know, we're going to keep meeting because this is what God's called us to do. If the government starts telling us that you can't be a church anymore, we're still going to be a church. We're going to meet underground, meet at my house, or meet at James's. I don't know. <laughs> meet somewhere. He's got a nice little shed out there. Or... Yeah. I'm sorry. Shop. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Shop. Okay. Be submissive. That's God's will. Now look at this. The will of God, number five, is that you suffer. Wow. Okay. Pastor, I think you've gone off the deep end. Well, this is what the Bible says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to faithful, the faithful creator while doing good. It's not just any kind of suffering. It's not suffering because you made some dumb mistakes. It's not suffering because you thought you were following God's will in your life to marry this person. And it's not, you know, you're suffering because you got an irate husband or an irate wife. You're not suffering because of whatever it is that you... This suffering that God is talking about, that Peter is talking about, this suffering is a suffering for the Lord. And it is God's will that you suffer for the Lord. That you do things that are contrary against this world system that causes conflict in your life. It's happening in my life. I mean, it happened from the very beginning. Right away, all my friends left. Second thing was my family. 
you know, after that, it's just been, you know, it's been a constant battle, constant conflict. And, and you might not, I don't know suffering like some of these Christians do in Afghanistan and in China. Those that have been beheaded, caught on fire. Those that, that were told to renounce their Christianity and they lined their kids up and they started shooting them one by one. Well, these people would not renounce. These missionaries would not renounce Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, one story is told of all these children that are laid out. And they told these parents that if you don't renounce Jesus Christ, we're going to start executing your children. And they had all these kids out in front of them on a field. And these, these parents all around the perimeter. And they're all crying and praying. And none of them would renounce Jesus Christ. And they, they kept warning them, look, if you don't do that, I'll give you up to the count of so many, you know, five, ten, 10 or 15. And as they were counting, one kid stands up. He says, don't do it, Mom. Boom, they shot him. Another kid stands up. Boom, they shot him. And one by one, these kids just started standing up. And the parents, finally, they just says, you know what? And they slaughtered the whole village eventually. Now, I don't know that kind of suffering as of yet. But believe me, it is coming. It is coming. We will become, those of you that are born again, that are part of the, the church, part of the bride of Christ, those of you that have committed to Jesus Christ, you will eventually lose everything, not because you're a Christian, which is ultimately the reason why, but you will lose everything because you are an enemy of the state. All the laws that are coming up now, all the laws and the things that you should be doing are, believe it or not, against God. Everything that is coming up in, in the world, in, in our city, in our state, in our nation, all these things, they're, they're being designed in such a way that if you go against this, this well, you know, I don't even want to talk about it right now. We, we, we talked about it quite a bit. But all these things that are coming up now make you an enemy of the state if you don't comply. And the reason you won't comply, I pray, is because you're a believer. And the Word of God says, I, I cannot do that. I cannot say that that's okay. Okay, well, you lose your license, you lose your building, you lose whatever the case may be. It's coming. And it's God's will that you do that. You stand for Him. Okay, so I never told you how to have... Okay, so what's God's will for my life? How do, how do I know what I got to do? How do I know who to marry? How do I know where to go? What, what church do I go to? What's, what school do I... How do I know God's will? Well, I just shared it with you. See, if you are saved, first and foremost, God's will is that you're saved, that you're spirit-filled, and if you're sanctified, and if you're submissive, and you're suffering for God, guess what? Here it is. You might want to write this down. And this won't take me too long. I told you it was going to be a two-bottled sermon. Here's how you know God's will. Well, first of all, you have to be saved. Because God ain't going to give you His will or show you what to do if you're not saved. Either you're a child of God or you're a child of Satan. Bottom line. Spirit-filled. You know, in other words, the Spirit has control over you. We'll go over that next week. Sanctified, set apart. You're being submissive. You're listening to the authorities. You're doing everything that you need to do. And you're suffering. Because they've told you to do something that you, should, you know you shouldn't be doing. Then, what you do from that point forward, whatever you want. Just do whatever you want. Now, I don't mean that in a negative sense. Because if you're saved, and you're spirit-filled, and you're sanctified, and you're submissive, and you're suffering, then whatever you do is God's will. You do whatever it is that God... What, what, because if you're in that... In that frame of mind, and the, these five things that I've, kind of, I've shared with you, if you're in that mindset, and it's a challenge, then whatever you do is going to glorify God. As a matter of fact, look at this verse in Psalm 37, 4. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's how we read it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And we think, well, I've got all these desires, Lord, and I'm delighting myself in you. I came to church. I sang. I even cried a little bit. And I'm so happy. So give me what I want. I desire. And that's not the way this verse is read. Let me read it to you how it's supposed to be read. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give to you the desires that are going to be in your heart. He will give to you. Why? Because you are saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, and you're suffering. Then you're going to know what God wants you to do. And to be honest with you, I don't think God really cares what job you have. As long as it's not illegal, unethical, or immoral. You're not going to be a bartender. You know, well, pastor's house said I can do whatever I want. I want. This is what I want to do. You're not going to be a bartender. You're not going to work at a, you know, 
well, you name it. You're not going to marry a non-believer. You know, if you're saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, and suffering, you're not going to marry somebody that's not a believer. Why would I do that? I want somebody that's saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, submissive also. And that's who you're going to look for. And this person seems to be you know, a little bit ugly, but that's all right. He's, he's saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, and that makes him handsome. <laughs> all right. You know, he's a little overweight, but okay, Lord, let's go. We can do this. You know, he's not going to give you, uh, you name it. God is going to give you the desires that he already has in store for you. And he's not going to give it to just anybody. If you're not saved, he's not going to give you his desires. If you're not spirit-filled, if you're not operating in wisdom, he's not going to give you his desires. To use it on yourself, he's not going to make you be, a, you know, whatever. If you're not sanctified, if you're just doing all this sexual immorality, he's not going to give you his desire. And many people wonder, okay, well, how come I'm not getting blessed? Because you don't know the will of God. And it's just as simple as that. Understanding that these are the things that God desires for you, for us. Now, apart, verse 17 and 18. Verse 18, if we didn't have that verse, all of this wouldn't be possible. Yes, you have to be spirit-filled. You have to have this supernatural power within you to be able to do this. You have to be able to have this supernatural power to be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified. You have to have this supernatural power. And I'll, I'll discuss that with you next week on how that happens. You know, if, if you love God with all your heart, you can do whatever you want. Because what you want to do is what God wants you to do. And I'm not trying to be flippant or you know, nonchalant. Yeah, do whatever you want. I'm giving you a reality. If you're just so plugged into God, you can do whatever you want because you're doing what God wants you to do. And he's going to bless that. Let me ask you to stand. Some of you are saying, well, I know people that aren't saved and, you know, spirit-filled, of course, and sanctified. I know people that are doing that. And yet, you know, it seems like God's doing all kinds of good things for them. Well, see, that's the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says, yeah, you don't need that stuff. You see, I can take, I can give you all that. And that's Satan. Everything that God has instituted and put into place, Satan is right there, 100% opposing everything that God has put into place. See, the sanctity of marriage, it was designed to be holy and pleasing and a beautiful thing. And just like everything else, Satan comes along and just perverts it all. And you probably know people that are doing well. You know, they're, hey, they're doing good. But you know what? You know instinctively, you know that there's something not right. And the Holy Spirit says it's the wisdom of the world. And until you come to a point to recognize, you know, I, I've messed up. I'm a sinner. You, you know, and I don't know if I could ever do that. Well, the first step is to repent. Just say, okay, I'm not going to do it. Just, just make that commitment right now. I'm going to repent. That's what the Bible is calling me to do. That's what this message is calling me to do. This message is calling me to repent. And I've never been told that before. I've been told just come forward and receive Jesus Christ and everything's okay. But everything's not okay. And I want you to repent. Let me rephrase that. I, I, I desire that you repent. But the Bible says, to, it's not a suggestion. This is a command. Repent. That's not, you know, well, you know, if you think, if, if you got time, no, it's a command. You heard the word, repent. You heard what God said, repent. It's as simple as that. Don't make it any complicated, any more difficult. Father, I just pray right now that your word is true. Each one of us, Lord, we have sinned. We're sinners. And there's sin that is within our life. And I thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that you give us. And how you are sanctifying each one of us. And for those that have repented and are, are striving to move forward, Lord, we know the challenges that it has. And the old man keeps creeping up and bringing us back down. But Lord, we have committed ourselves to you to do this. And we're going to move forward with this, Lord. So I pray for those commitments that are being made even now. And I pray for those that are willing to say, I am going to change. Not because I can do it, but because you're going to do it through me. You're going to teach me how to be spirit-filled and how to depend on the Holy Spirit's power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're going to teach me how to be spirit-filled. Another command, that I must be spirit-filled. I need to keep, keep, keeping 
Keep being kept filled. And it's a command that you give us. I'm going to learn your word. I'm going to learn more of your truth. Father, I don't want to play around anymore. And I pray that those that are listening right now, that they just come to a point in their life where they say, I'm not playing around anymore. I have wasted too much time. And I've got to take a good uh, look at my life and make every opportunity of my life. Because we know that these days are evil. So, Father, just lead us this morning in all things as he dismisses from this place. Making our commitment to you, not to this church, not to this pastor, but to you. And that you lead us to find a place that we can come to know you and, and learn even more so. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is powerful and quick and alive. And, and we know, Lord, that it feeds us for today. And that we take this message and apply it to our life and, and share it with others. Thank you, Father, for being so good, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen and amen. I'll be up here for a word of prayer if you'd like to come up for a moment. <laughs>